Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, folks. This is Fred Houston, and you are listening to the Stone and Nile Show. And uh, this week, I've decided to talk a little bit about what we call historic stone restoration. Or you're going to find out in a few minutes, it's really not called restoration. So you guys that are actually in the restoration business are really not in the restoration business. And we'll explain why in a few minutes. Now, I want to say that this particular show is a teaser for my upcoming seminar. I have a six hour long seminar, which is going to be July 28th. That's a Saturday. It's a six hour web seminar. So in other words, you don't have to go anywhere, hop on a plane or anything, just sit in front of your computer. Uh, I believe it's going to be recorded, so it will be available after the show as well. So with that said, let me go ahead and uh, give you uh, the numbers. And they are 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you have a question about what we're talking about today, as well as anything else that has to do with uh, stone or tile, terrazzo, whatever. If you have an issue, a comment, whatever, feel free to call in. Now, I'm going to be flipping back and forth between some of my notes and the uh, little box here that tells me you're on there. So if you you do call in, just be patient. Hang on. Uh, I will get to you. So let's start out with a little bit about historic stone restoration. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is the kind of money that can be made. Uh, If you restoration guys out there are doing, you know, your normal restoration, whether it's, you know, commercial or residential, historic stone restoration is big money. However, the problem with is getting your foot in the door. And I'm going to be discussing that in the actual seminar on July 28th. I've got a whole presentation on how to get your foot in the door. In other words, all right, you want to get into historic stone restoration. You have the skills, you have the talent, but you can't get through the door because you don't have the experience. We're going to discuss that. So I'll go ahead and uh, we're going to discuss it on the July 28th seminar, not here today. Today I'm going to cover some technical aspects of historic stone restoration and how you deal with what we call historic architects as well as what we call architectural conservators which a lot of times are the individuals that you'll be dealing with uh, when it comes to doing a historic property so you know what is a historic property basically it's old (laughs) i mean it could be something as you know as old as 30 40 years old or something several hundred years old uh it could actually be on the national register uh which if you don't know what that is we'll go into that at at that seminar on july 28th uh or not It, it just depends but before i get started with some definitions and Uh, you know, some other things about how you approach historic stone restoration, there is one thing I want to cover, and that is what I call the swear words in historic stonework. Now, what do I mean by swear words? Uh, A lot of the terminology that we use in in regular restoration work, um, you know, it's common language between us guys, customers, your customers that you deal with, just about anyone kind of understands those terms. But when it comes to dealing with historic work, there are some terms that you don't want to use. And I'm going to list them real quick for you. There's about six of them. And then we'll go back and I'll explain each one and why uh, we don't use those words in historic stonework. The first is honing. H-O-N-I-N-G, honing. That's the first one. The second one is grinding. 
The third one is resurfacing. The fourth one is sealers. The fifth one is acids. And the sixth one is sandblasting. Now, there are a few others that I'm sure you'll all come up with, but those are my six top words that when you're dealing with historic work, when you're dealing with an architect, when you're dealing with a building owner, when you're dealing with an architectural conservator, you don't want to use those terms. Why? Well, first of all, let's look at honing, grinding, and resurfacing, which in to the eyes of your customers, those are primarily the same thing. One of the things about historic work is that you're really not looking for a pristine or ultra clean surface. Uh, there's a word that you may or may not know that gets thrown around a lot in the historic um, circle, and that's a, a, a term called patina. So in this case, the stone takes on a natural patina. That's the surface of the material. By grinding it or honing it, you're actually removing that patina, and to them, that's destroying it. That's, the dry, the, that's destroying the historical significance uh, of that, that surface, whether you're dealing with a, you know, a wall, a floor, or whatever. So uh, you don't want to ruin that patina. So you're not going to use the word honing, you're not going to use the word grinding, and you're not going to use the word resurfacing. Now, let's take an example. And this is a question I get all the time, and that is, is it appropriate? Let, let's, let's back up a minute. Let's say you're going to a historic property. It's a 200-year-old you know, capital building, for example. And the floor is a mess, and you need to get in there, and you need to use one of those you know, swear words, honing. Uh, is it appropriate to do that? Well, the argument you're going to get is that, no, we don't want to do that because what I just mentioned, you don't want to ruin the patina. But if you go back and you look at the way that floor was installed originally, okay, back in the day, we didn't have the, the calibration that we had today with tiles. In other words, you can go into any tile store, and I'm talking stone tile here, and uh, you can get a 3-8 inch tile, and you, you, it, it's going to be pretty consistent within a, a millimeter or two. Well, back in the day, say the 1800s, even the early 1900s, we weren't able to cut stone to be precisely that exact amount. The, the calibration just wasn't there. So what you basically did is you installed that material the best that you could, you know, using mortar, et cetera, and then you would grind it flat. Now, I used another swear word, but you would actually, you know, grind it flat to install. It's called a ground-in-place installation. That's the way, especially stone flooring, used to be installed back in the day. But after it's installed, you kind of want to avoid those, those terms. Another term that it tends to, you know, raise the, you know, the, the, the hair on the back of uh, an architect or historic person's neck is sealers, um, coatings, sealers, waxes, uh, whatever you want to call them. They don't like that term. And I don't either. Uh, when it comes to historic work, rarely is a sealer appropriate. However, there is something called a consolidant, which I think we may have discussed on one of the other shows, but uh, uh, we'll talk about it here in, in, in a second. Uh, there are consolidants and densifiers, which you concrete guys are, are, are real familiar with. So you want to avoid those terminologies. And then, then the fifth one that I've mentioned a minute ago is acids. Acids destroy. That's how acids work. They destroy. They clean the material by actually attacking the material and taking part of the material with it. So in essence, to a historic architect or conservator, you're talking about removing that patina. 
so assets you don't want to use. And the last is sandblasting. Now, you guys that deal with exterior work are going to hear this a lot. You're, you know, rarely I think you would sandblast a floor, but sandblasting was used a lot in the past on a whole lot of historic buildings, especially in Europe. Uh, Asia and of course here in the United States and that is a big no-no. Now when I talk about sandblasting I'm talking about very abrasive materials. Silicon carbide you know quartz sand etc. There are other blasting medias that are being recognized in the historic uh, arena right now and those are things like you know walnut shells and, and things of that nature and well, in that July 28th seminar we're going to get into that in quite a bit of detail as far as you know those type those type of methods okay let me go ahead and uh, check real quick back here on the on the main board and see what we have any callers here no uh, let me give you the number 323-870-3968 that is 323-870-3968 uh, if you're listening live if you don't want to get on the air you can drop me an email at fhuston at gmail.com that's f-h-u-e-s-t-o-n at gmail.com or if you're on my facebook uh the stone forensics uh, facebook just go to facebook type in stone forensics it'll take you right to my uh, facebook page and you can go ahead and send me an instant message if you have a question or a comment i'd be more than happy uh to read them as well okay now the beginning of the show i had mentioned that you restoration guys are really not in the restoration business from a historic perspective or from an architect or a conservator's perspective. So let's take a look at three definitions that we're going to discuss briefly here. The first is restoration. The second is rehabilitation. And the third is present, uh, preservation. I'm sorry. Um, so what, what are the definitions? The definitions of restoration is this to depict a property at a particular period of time in its history while removing evidence of other periods. So let's say you go into a, an office building and it's a historic building and they have, oh, let's go get extreme. Say they have shag carpeting in, in one area and they have something more modern in another area. You're going to remove those elements and bring that particular uh, and it, whether it's a floor or wall, whatever, back to its original period. So you need to know what period you're looking at. Do you want it from when it was brand new? In other words, when the building was brand new, say 1880-something, uh, you want to, you know, and we've done that work. We've done that work before in the past where we removed carpeting, tile, and exposed, say, the original terrazzo floor, original marble floor, and we had to, you know, bring that up to a, a home finish preserving the natural patina of course and um and that's how you'd want to approach that word by the way is uh, honing would be preserving instead of using honing we're preserving the natural patina uh and that always that always gets them excited when you use those, those particular terms um but anyway that's what true restoration is so what you guys are really not doing is restoration per se and i'll get to that in a minute so let's look at the second definition the second definition would be what we call rehabilitation Rehabilitation is defined as it acknowledges the need to alter or add to a historic property to meet continuing or changing uses while retaining the property's historic character. So, in other words, let me simplify that a little bit. Uh, you have a historic property that's not handicap accessible, so you have to add ramps. That would be one way of rehabilitation. You're adding those ramps. You're trying to add them in such a way that they may be hidden behind something or they somehow blend in to the historic property's character. That, that's what rehabilitation is. 
The third, and this is what business you guys are really in, is known as preservation. The definition of preservation is it focuses on the maintenance and repair of existing historic materials and retention of a property's form as it has evolved over time. So you're really not in the restoration business per se. You're really in the preservation business for the, for the most part of what we do. If we're going in and we're cleaning a wall, um, removing stains off a wall or floor or whatever, that's actually preservation. That's really not restoration, at least as defined out. Now, who puts out these definitions? These definitions are put out by the Secretary of Interior standards, and there are standards for each one of them. There's a standards for rehabilitation, there's a standards for restoration, and there's a standard for preservation as well. So I'm not going to read all three of them because they're all pretty much uh, the same depending on depending on what you're dealing with. But I, I will read. Let me read one of them here, and I think you'll you'll get the idea of or discuss one of them here, and you'll think you'll get the idea of what these standards are. Okay, the, 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 the Secretary of Interior standards, um, this one happens to be eight points, and that is a property be used, will be used as it was historically or given a new use that maximizes the retention of distinctive materials. And I think we just talked about that. And it goes on and on and on. And I'm not going to bore you with, with the text here. Probably the most important thing of all these, and again, you'll get a copy of these when you attend the July 28th. Uh, a seminar. I'll have a whole copy of all three Secretary of Interior standards. You're, you're actually going to get a manual that is, oh, I've got it right here in front of me. It looks like it's probably maybe over a little over 100 pages long. It's just a wealth of uh, of information if you're going to get into the historic historic stone stonework at, at all. So uh, definitely worth worth looking at. All right, so let's move on a little bit. And this is something that those of, well, let, let me talk about one point here that seems to be in all three. In other words, the restoration standard, rehabilitation standard, and the preservation standard. And that is this, chemical or physical treatment, if appropriate, which is very important, if it's appropriate, will be undertaken using the gentlest means possible. Treatments that cause damage to the historic material will not be used. And that's where we go back to that word patina. That's where we go back to those swear words I mentioned, grinding, honing, resurfacing, acids, uh, sandblasting, etc. Those are the type of words they don't want to see because of that reason. As a matter of fact, today, in a lot of exterior cleaning, exterior stone cleaning, the only thing used is water. No chemicals at all. Now, chemicals companies are going to be a little peeled at me that I said that, but that, that's true. Uh, a lot of them are using water. Now, you can't really do that uh, to, you know, interior work or um, uh, walls or floors that are in the interior because it would be hard to control the water, although I've done it. Uh, but anyway, uh, that is really important. I'm going to read that again one more time. Chemical or physical treatment, if appropriate, will be undertaken using the gentlest means possible. That means if you go in there and you've got to clean something, you've got to preserve something, you're not going to go in there and blast it with the nastiest chemical that you have in, in your truck. You're going to start off very gentle, maybe a neutral cleaner, and then move on up depending on what, re, what was required. Now, we're talking stain removal. We're talking a whole different ballgame. Okay, because stain removals are what I consider to be an isolated problem. And as you know, with stain removal, uh, you're going to probably need some um, chemicals, especially when it comes to things like graffiti removal, uh, deep stains from ink and, you know, et cetera, oils, whatever. So, all right, moving on a little bit here. We talk a little bit about what I talk about in my yearly inspection class also applies here in 
historic stone work, and that is all materials will fail. Now, what's that mean? Okay, go to Italy, go to Egypt, you'll see materials that are, you know, thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of year old that are still standing there, but they're deteriorating. I mean, look at the Parthenon, it's deteriorating. Uh, the pyramids in Egypt, once were clad in all marble, it's gone. It's not there anymore. Weather, acid rain has washed it away. Uh, here in the United States, go to Washington, D.C. All those marble buildings that are in Washington, D.C. are all deteriorating. If you look real closely, uh, you can see puck, puck marks. You can see spalls, all from acid rain, improper maintenance. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember one year going up to Arlington Cemetery, and at the very, very top of the hill in Arlington Cemetery is uh, General Lee's house or fort, whatever it was at the time. I think it was his house. And um, they actually painted over it. They painted over the original marble and made it look like real marble. In other words, they faux painted it, which I could not believe to save my life. And here is, you know, Washington, D.C., our capital, and, and they're doing stuff like that. But that, that's, another, that's another issue altogether. But anyway, because all materials will fail, you're looking at a condition in physics known as entropy, E-N-T-R-O-P-Y, entropy, which is a process of degradation or running down or a trend to disorder, which basically means, you know, we take this material, we take stone, and it's in the ground. It's a rock, right? And we take it out and we put it in a form it's not used to. It's a square. It's a rectangle. It's whatever. It's nice and thin. It's, it's whatever. It wants to go back to its original original shape. That's what entropy is. It wants to go back. So it's constantly under that stress, which for us guys in a preservation business, notice I didn't say restoration business. That's a good thing. Uh, so, you know, just keep that in mind. And again, I'll mention this and go into this a little bit more detail in the July 28th seminar, as well as if you want to take my troubleshooting slash inspection seminar, uh, we're going to also uh, do that there. Okay, let me give out the telephone numbers here again. Uh, it is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. The uh, email address is fhuston, which is F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com, as well as my Facebook page. Go to Stone Forensics. You can send me an instant message on the messenger there, and I'll be more than happy to answer your question. And it doesn't have to be about historic stone restoration. Again, I'll take any, any call, a problem that you're having when it has to do with uh, stone, stone or tile. Okay, let me go ahead and move on here a little bit, and let's talk about approach. In other words, when you go into a building, you know, you're asked to look at the downtown capital, you're asked to look at a very old building, and whether you're doing interior or exterior, here's the things you want to identify. And there are basically five that the way I outline them. And that is number one, is you want to look at the problem. And you want only want to you want to understand the problem. And what I mean by that, you know, you want to make sure that the customer and you agree on what the problem is. And again, if I go back to what I talked about in the very beginning, if you're dealing with a historic property, okay, they might not want it pristine. They might not want it, you know, highly polished if it's a floor. They might want it, you know, to have that old look. They just want it, I hate to use this word, spruced up a little bit. So you want to make sure that you see eye to eye. And the way I usually approach that is I ask them, okay, well, what do you see? What do you see as the problem here? What do you see as the final outcome? What are you looking for? And let them tell you. Okay, once you've identified that, you want to do what I call a survey and investigation. That's where we go in and we look at everything. We look at the history of this material, your 
your um, historic societies in your particular, especially with that building, this can be a great help. I found lots of information. I had one particular project in North Carolina where we couldn't identify what the material was. And I found out by going to the historic society that they had opened a quarry about seven miles outside of the city. They built a railroad just to haul these blocks of stone to build this Capitol building. And actually it was Raleigh, North Carolina. And they shut it down after the building was built. So in essence, that was the only building with that particular material on the outside of the building. For those of you interested, it was it was it was it was nice. And I don't mean N I C E. I mean G N E I S S. It was it was nice uh, metamorphic material that that was used, and the quarry is now now gone. So uh, historic societies can be extremely helpful. You know, ask the architect you're dealing with, ask the people you're dealing with, because history can tell you a lot. Uh, then you want to identify the material, and I just kind of described how you can do that. Uh, some of it's very obvious. <clears throat> in the United States, and, and this is true in a lot of cases, not always 100% true, but generally your materials, your stone materials that are used in capital buildings, uh, things of that nature, are generally what I call native stone. And what I mean by native stone is they're usually from that state. So if you're in Minnesota, it may use a, a Minnesota stone, uh, or it's going to be within the United States. So you go to Washington, D.C., all that stone, all that white material in Washington, D.C., a lot of it's Colorado Yule, uh, a lot of Vermont Danby, a lot of native materials. In other words, stone that comes out of quarries in the United, in the United States. You'll see, I ran into a, this is kind of an interesting story, I ran into a project many years ago, uh, was called in for a, to a bank, a historic bank, and the floor was black, and this building was built probably around the turn of the century, maybe a little bit before, and what I mean by the turn of the century, I mean 18-something, 1900s, um, and I'm looking at this material, and I'm like, it, it looks like black marble, but it really isn't black marble, and a little, you know, it, it looked different in other words. And come to find out, it actually was Verde Antique from Vermont. But that particular vein that they used during that time was very, very dark. Uh, it was a serpentine. It was almost black in color as opposed to as to, a, to a green. And if you put different lighting on it, it's, you could you could tell that it was a, uh, a serpentine serpentine material, but it could be very, very, very confusing. So uh, it's something you want to look at. So that's identification. The next is your diagnosis. What are you going to do? <clears throat> we know what we're not going to do. We're not going to hone. We're not going to grind. We're not going to resurface. We're going to what? Preserve the patina. Okay. How are we going to preserve the patina? Well, we're going to use uh, several methods that won't harm the original historic nature of this material, but will you know clean it up a little bit, if you will. Um, if there's deep stains, we'll use some isolated techniques. You see the type of terminology I'm using? It's not... It's not negative terminology at all. And when you talk about honing, grinding, resurfacing to someone, you know, dealing with historic properties, that's that's very negative word. And then lastly, you want to look at the prescription. You know, what are you going to do to, and we just discussed that, to uh, solve this problem that you all, all came out with. So some of the things we'll be discussing in the, in the July 28th seminar 
is, is you know, flaking, spalling, powdering, efflorescence, discoloration, and staining, cracking, weathering, soiling, etc. Um, we'll talk about, you know, stone and masonry types, um, uh, something known as mapping, potential sources, time frames, uh, interviewing certain individuals, record searches, which I kind of hinted a little bit, uh, the environment, past treatments that were used on it, which can be very detrimental to a lot of materials. We'll talk about the stone types. Those of you that have been through the basic seminar, uh, you know, knowing igneous, sedimentary, metamorphic, and some of the ones that are in between, and I just mentioned one of them, and that is um, the um, nice material that I saw in North North Carolina. So those are the type of things we'll, we'll discuss. And, uh, you know, we'll get into the types of sandstones, because if you're dealing with historic work, you're going to be dealing uh, with sandstone, depending on, on where you are. We'll look at potential sources for this degradation. In other words, weathering, chemical attack, physical damage, workmanship failures. And yes, even in the old days, they made mistakes. And I have a really good example of that that I use in my inspection class. And you will hear in the um, uh, uh, historic seminar class as well, um, which is a building that was installed, I believe it was 1860-something, a marble floor that failed over 100 years later and why and what happened. And we'll get into that in detail, of course, during that, that particular seminar. We'll talk about biological sources, improper, improper maintenance. Uh, we'll talk about the interviews. We'll talk about how to go about to do a record search. You know, where do you do a record search? These are all things that are involved in historic work that you normally wouldn't do, say, you know, Mrs. Jones calls you up and wants her kitchen floor polished or the downtown bank, you know, just wants their floor polished or countertop polished. This is different. There's a lot of, you know, work that goes into before you actually, you know, get, do the job. And then there's the bidding process. You know, how do you bid? Again, I'll just, I'm not going to discuss that here, but we'll discuss some of the tricks and techniques we use for bidding in the, in the historic uh, uh, seminar as well. So, again, phone numbers are? 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. i got another few minutes here before I wrap things up. So if you want to get a last minute call in, that's the number, 323-870-3968. You can send me an email, fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Or again, on Messenger on Facebook, just go ahead and uh, search for uh, Stone Forensics. So, uh, going down my presentation here, I said we're going to look at the, we're going to look about mapping, both sounding uh, mapping, moisture mapping. There's such a thing in, in historic buildings called blind exfoliation. If you don't know what that is, we'll, we'll actually uh, talk about talk about that as well in that seminar. As I said, it's a six-hour six hour seminar. Then we'll get into the methods. And what I mean for methods is, you know, the rules that apply for, say, preserving. Uh, that's a better word than cleaning or or anything else. So the rules for preservation, what you know, the cleaning methods we used, um, the specifications for that. We'll talk about how to obtain experience, and and then there's some shortcuts there as well. And I'll talk about you know lots of shortcuts. Uh, we'll talk about. You know, I had mentioned before that a lot of the new techniques are using water only. We'll talk about those techniques. I mean, just briefly, we'll talk about pressure washing, misting, low pressure, intermittent, and steam, as well as some of the other uh, techniques that are used. You know, there's the JOS, J-O-S system, which uses a, a very fine baking soda powder uh, to, to remove the material. We'll talk about nebulous water spraying, uh, a bunch of different things there that, again, I don't have time to get over here. We'll talk about how to use chemicals. 
Uh, in other words, you know, from surfactants to acids to alkalines to solvents, you know, what are we going to use there? We'll discuss those where they're appropriate, you know, how to use them, which not only applies to historic work, but also applies to just about anything else uh, in, in your particular business if you're in the, in, the, in the restoration in the restoration business. So let's see. I think I have a, a um, uh, uh, instant message coming in here, and let's see what someone's got to say about that. Um, I love it when people instant message me. Uh, I'm listening to the show. Love it. And the question is, and I'm waiting for the response uh, for the question. We'll get that in a second. I know this person very well. As a matter of fact, we're going to interview this person. I won't mention his name. Uh, hopefully uh, next week. Uh, remember, we talked about showers and uh, permeations and stuff like that. Um, we'll talk about that with this individual hopefully next week. Uh, if, if we can, but while I'm waiting for his question, I mean, you go on and uh, continue with uh, some other issues here when it comes to this this upcoming upcoming show. No, here's the question: uh, There was a project that was using limestone that curled anti-fracture under the mid mud bed. Okay, I mean limestone can curl. I've seen I've seen limestone limestone curl before, especially when you have moisture. Again, the, the terminology for curling there is hysteresis. Uh, let's go on and see what his his response or what the rest of his question is here, and then we'll go ahead and an answer that in a second here. But let me let me get back to uh, here. We go. Uh, they covered the limestone for a few days, which. Depending on how they cover it, it could cause a problem. I mean, you, you cover any material after it's been wet or has moisture in there. Uh, and he did say moisture trapping. Yes, absolutely. It could trap the moisture in, especially if they use, uh, you know, some type of a plastic uh, or, or whatever. That would definitely cause the uh, uh, the material to become saturated. Not only can warping be a problem with limestone, but you can get iron oxidation as well, which, by the way, we're going to talk about in that in that in that seminar coming coming up. Um, while I'm waiting for the rest of his question there, I'm going to go ahead and just go on here for a few more minutes. So I said we're going to talk about steam. Uh, there are rules involved for for these processes, which we'll dis we'll discuss. We'll talk about the different acids and how they how they react. We'll talk about alkaline cleaners, etc. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. Surfactants, abrasive cleaning, the proper abrasive cleaning, dry abrasives wet abrasive. So again, that seminar is, and then there's a whole ton of uh, exam projects that I've been involved with over the years and several hundred of them that I have slides on, which you obviously can't see on the radio, uh, but I'll discuss those. So if you really want to learn more about this, uh, go ahead and uh, contact me. I'll send you the information of where you can sign up for the seminar. Again, it's July 28th. It's a Saturday. It's six hours. We'll have a breaks you know, in between, it's uh, interactive on the web, which simply means you can uh, you can, you can uh, ask questions, you can see what I'm looking at, et cetera. So it's a really good, kind of a good, and I don't do these very often, so now would be the opp opportunity. Um, and he told me he's good for next week. So, all right, we'll tell him. Okay, this is a buddy of mine, uh, James Medina, who uh, I worked with at the uh, at the Wynn and the Encore c Casino. And uh, I'm not going to say anymore, James is a really knowledgeable person, uh, worked for Noble Seal for a while. And uh, we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss uh, permeation, et cetera, next week with 
with James. So we'll get him uh, uh, on the horn here next week or next week's show, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, and discuss with him. And I think you'll find it very entertaining, and I'm sure he'll throw a few jokes in there too, won't you, James? <laughs> so anyway, okay, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up for, for this week uh, again. Uh, if you really want to know more about historic preservation, not restoration, historic preservation, uh, sign up for that seminar. It's July 28th. It's a Saturday. It's going to run six hours. We'll have a lunch break. We'll have other breaks there as well. And um, a great seminar. I could just send me an email at Houston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. And we can go ahead and uh, get you all the information, the cost, and all, all that kind of good stuff there as well. So until next week, have a great weekend, and we'll see everybody next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.